Hi everyone, Sean here, and I'm really excited to talk to you about today's episode where I sat down with Anique Besso. She is a registered dietitian and has a master's degree from McGill University, and she and I talk all about health at every size. And this is a really important conversation because this is something that I think I've, you know, years ago I read the book Health at Every Size and I've started to gradually over the years incorporate some of the principles from the book or some of the research. And really what Anika and I talk about today is what Health at Every Size is, what it isn't, and some of the very many myths that we hold about this movement, myself included. So I learned a lot and I think it's a really important conversation as we think about how do we support health in a broad way. We have to start having these conversations with really what ends up being different social movements or different groups of individuals who may think that they really disagree a lot. So like, for example, people in the medical community may think they really disagree a lot with the health at every size community. And what I've noticed, because I've had the privilege of talking with a lot of these different professionals, and what I notice is there's so much more agreement than disagreement, but because of the way humans are and the way we're so polarized right now, we focus on how different we are and that person thinks this way and that's bad. And so we talk about some of the myths of health at every size being against weight loss and how that's a myth or that health at every size is claiming that everyone's healthy and they should just kind of lay around, watch TV, no big deal, and just kind of be healthy. But it's it's more than that. It's It's taking a broader view of health and thinking about all the different factors that go into health. And what, what it really comes down to is that these conversations are nuanced. They are not simple and they can be challenging to have and it can be challenging to hold all of this in one space, but it's really important. It's really important that as professionals, we begin or continue to have these conversations and it's really important as an individual looking to improve your health that you know that there's professionals working on getting better, but we don't necessarily have all the answers either. Uh, There's not like a one size fits all for what health looks like for you. And and I think when we think about um, the last couple episodes, I've been talking about, you know, weight loss surgery and and health at every size and all these different ways, even like a couple episodes ago, plant-based eating. I think, I think there's a lot we can learn from all of them. I really do. And I don't, I think there's like a one way to do it. That's why I'm bringing you these conversations. So I think all of us are are biased. All of us come with our set of experiences. So we have to acknowledge that, but we can all learn and grow and listen to other people. And that's the most important thing. So I'm really excited for you to dive in and tune into the conversation I have with Anique. She has a wealth of knowledge to share with us and a wealth of experience to share with us. And as a reminder, this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not to be construed as any form of professional advice, medical, nutrition, psychological, or otherwise. And finally, I'll give you a quick reminder about the free resource of the week that I have for you. This one is, I actually made it last spring, but I haven't been talking about it a lot because it's been, at least in Michigan, it's been really cold. 
but I have this really cool 10 minute guided audio where you can listen at any time. You could listen while you're walking or you could just listen while you're doing laundry. And it's really cool because it helps you to shift and see what's possible for how you might feel about exercise if you can move away from shoulds and calorie burn and all the diet mentality thinking about it. So it helps you to sort of imagine what might be possible. And what that does for your brain is it kind of lays the grooves for a different way of thinking about your body, appreciating your body, and how exercise might be able to fuel those goals versus be a should or a thing that you must do. So it it helps to lay the groundwork in your brain for a different way of thinking and helps you to move towards potentially reclaiming exercise as something really positive for you. So that's a 10-minute guided audio. You can grab that at drhondorp.com forward slash reclaim, D-R-H-O-N-D-O-R-P.com forward slash reclaim. So check that out. And now let's go to my conversation with Anique. So welcome, welcome to the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Today we are talking to Anique Basso, registered dietitian, and she has a wealth of knowledge in many areas of disordered eating, eating disorder treatment, sports nutrition, all the things. Today we're going to be talking about health at every size. I'm so excited to have you here, Anique. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited for this discussion. Me too. So we're going to dive into all things health at every size, but first, can you tell the listeners just a little bit about you and how you got into doing this work? Yeah, so um, I am Canadian, but I did live in the States for three years in Washington, D.C. So I actually went into dietetics specifically to work with eating disorders and disordered eating. Um I think, you know, because of um, my experience with food growing up, I, I never really knew that much about food. And in my teen years, when I kind of started discovering like the role food played in your body, I did swing to more of like a disordered eating end. And I was very lucky to have, you know, professionals that helped me and I wanted to be somebody who could hopefully offer flexibility, knowledge, education to people and make a difference and offer maybe a a space that I didn't have growing up. So I, I went into dietetics to really work with eating disorders. I did my master's at McGill University. Um, Then right after that, I um, started working with eating disorders in private practice and then um, worked in a psychiatric hospital on a pediatric unit. And then I moved to DC and worked in private practice there with mainly eating disorders um, and sports nutrition too. Nice. So you, yeah, because of your experience as a teen, you said you kind of went into the dietetics field with that goal in mind of having that specialty. Yeah, exactly. Okay, nice. And Can you tell, is there anything that I've started to ask people if there's anything you want to share about your personal relationship with food, exercise, or your body that might be useful? And, and my guess, we have such a range of answers here, but it sounds like um, from our discussion earlier, but from what you just said, this is something that you struggled with as a teen. So I'd love to hear your thoughts and uh, on that, if what could kind of benefit our listeners. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I came from a family that, um, Uh, my mom was a single mom, um, and then did like meet a partner later on. We didn't, 
we didn't necessarily have um, a ton of money growing up and there wasn't necessarily this like space to like eat a diverse, I guess, variety of foods. And, you know, as a teen through my development, I was really uncomfortable in my body. And then I got into running and it became very like rigid and disordered. Um, so I think, I think what really helped me actually is that in like the sports field, I would say I have like an atypical body because I, you know, don't have the classic like runner shape. I was often told that um, in the years that I competed, but, you know, being able to, I think, work with people who struggle with their relationship with food and doing my, my own work, I, and with running, I've really been able to respect my body, to nourish it and realize that if we can kind of turn internally that you actually can perform better, um, and you, you have a lot of more space, I think, to do other things in your life when your world doesn't necessarily revolve around food and um, controlling your body shape. So I would say that's my personal experience, how learning about nutrition has really helped me, but also kind of having my sport to turn to that instead of leading to this disordered relationship actually really helped me with my relationship with my body. Nice. So yeah, you were really able to kind of reclaim that relationship with your body and, and sort of re reclaim that relationship with running. It sounds like maybe of like shifting it from a, I have to make my body look like this typical runner's body, getting those messages, but then challenging that and saying, Nope, I'm going to accept my body as it is, respect it, take care of it, but also be able to sort of enjoy that sport. Again, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Well, thanks for sharing that. So let's dive in and talk about health at every size. I'm so excited to talk about this because I think this is a term that's used a lot. And as I was mentioning, as a psychologist, this is something I've sort of done my own research on. It wasn't a part of my training per se. And I think that's pretty common for uh, mm. a whole bunch of different professionals. So we have, you know, in the medical profession and, um, and, and certainly there's a lot of psychologists who do know about health at every size, but I think there's a lot of people that don't know about it. So I'm excited to share about what it is, dive into that. I'm curious, just from a background perspective, where w were you first introduced to health at every size? Was this part of your training from the get-go? Did you seek it out? How does this work? Because I do think it's in the dietetics field, it's more commonly known and, and pr practiced. Yeah, I would say it was not part of my training at all. Um, oh, interesting. And you know, I have I have not been in school for uh, several years, but I would say that based on what I do here, we still continue to have a very like weight centric um, training approach oh, um, okay. in dietetics. So I did um, seek it out. I would say without actually like label labeling myself like a health at every size um, professional. I did always kind of, you know, toy that line of like, oh yeah, I do weight loss, but really actually encouraging people to focus on 
behaviors and to really like shift internally, like I mentioned before, but I got more familiar with health at every size as a social justice movement, I would say in 2017, when I moved to the States, um, and then just continue to seek out information, um, continuing education. Um, there's a lot of great resources online, Facebook groups. Um, so I would say I've, I've learned the most from colleagues, from having difficult discussions, um, you know, in our peer supervision, I would say that sometimes we bring up discussions that we, we disagree, but in a, in a very like respectful manner. And it's, it feels helpful to be able to question um, what health at every size means for different people and how it's understood in the medical community. And also um, just in, in the world and in the community at large. Yeah, that's kind of fascinating. I um, and just for the listeners, uh, Anik and I are both part of a practice that uh, Sapnadoshi <laughs> started, and and so peer supervision includes dietitians and psychologists talking about these things. So just a little background there. But I think it's fascinating because in my mind, I always thought dietitians like just get this training, and I don't really know why <laughs> I thought that, but clearly that's not true, or at least wasn't true in your formal training. It's a kind of similar to me where. I read Health at Every Size, I don't know, eight years ago or so, and have sort of continued to like gradually incorporate it into what I do. But so, okay, that's, that's really helpful. I, and, and really, I guess it sort of reinforces this message that it's still a movement that's kind of small and not mainstream. Would you say that? I mean, it's yes. growing, but it's mm-hmm. not like part of a lot of standard training. There's a reason why a lot of people are confused about what it is and what it means. So even more important that we're talking about it today. Absolutely. And I will say it's very polarized um, yes. in, in a lot of spheres. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes it is. Um, so let's back up a tiny bit and just say, let's define health at every size and what it is for mm-hmm. everyone. Yeah, so I guess health at every size, um, let's say on an individual level, um, tries to shift, I would say like medical interventions, nutrition interventions, more from like a weight centric approach to um, focusing on the individual's like lived experience, um, focusing on behavior, social determinants, um, and also like, marginalization, um, socioeconomic status, like how all those things can impact um, what we deem as health markers. So there's just been a lot of research in um, the health at every size kind of movement that shows that, you know, weight loss from like a very in, from an isolated perspective where, you know, the very classic weight loss where we restrict energy, um, encourage increased physical activity and people lose weight, that that actually doesn't necessarily lead to um, the health changes that we would like long-term and does further actually shame people and place the blame on individuals for their size. So I would say that health at every size from an individual level um, that's, that's the way I understand it and would define it. But I think at like, from a, a bigger perspective, it also is a social justice movement in acknowledging the privilege that comes in being able to make individual choices that like a lot of 
medical conditions like diabetes, cardiovascular disease, um, hypertension, that these things actually show up in a lot of communities that are marginalized, that, you know, um, different races, different genders and classes. And so it's, it's also considering from like a systems perspective, how we can do better um, and help these people instead of putting the onus on them to make changes, considering how, you know, it's easy to tell somebody to eat more fruits and vegetables, but perhaps they live in an area where they don't necessarily have access to like fruits and vegetables that they don't have time to prepare them or whatever. So I think taking like a broader perspective and understanding that as a society in our medical system, we also do need to make changes to decrease the oppression that these groups feel. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So really going back to what you said, it's really maybe always was a social justice movement, but it very much like that's the main thing that health at every size is. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because I thought I always thought of it as like social justice movement but it's, it's an also evidence-based social justice movement, I guess. Um, because again, we're looking at, and not that social justice isn't evidence-based necessarily, but it's, it's rooted in this, this research that suggests that we are over-focusing on weight, body size as a strong determinant of health. It's many people feel like it's this huge determinant of health versus there's so many other factors that we're just not even touching or looking at. And we're blaming the individual and saying, just change your behavior when we're not taking into that broader context. Would that be an accurate kind of summary from your perspective? Yeah. And I would say to also build on that, like also exploring the health consequences of the shame, the stigma, the trauma of existing in this like very fat phobic world in mm-hmm. a, a larger body that, you know, the, the idea of like focusing on weight loss and restriction, how that can lead to mental health problems, eating disorders, um, you know, other physical health problems and how the, the stress that you live daily in being a person in a larger body can actually have health consequences that are probably um, more um, problematic than your body shape is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And that, that's something that I, I know a lot of folks that I work with, and I'm sure you as well, like have a lot, they, they find a lot of benefit in having these topics actually discussed for once. Many times it's just been like, mm-hmm. I've just experienced weight bias my whole life and I never even really knew it was a thing. And they, I've, I've had people as recently as the last few weeks ask me like, is this a thing? Like, is weight bias a thing in medical settings? And I say, yes, it's just even just never having that validation ever <laughs> and how traumatic it could be to experience that. And then, yeah, so health at every size really helps to have a platform to discuss it more regularly, I would say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Well, I was going to say, I guess I was going to share examples of like the medical community and even has like a health professional that that really tries to be an ally and like voice concerns. It it can be so frustrating and maddening um, and extremely stressful because it feels like fighting against this like very solid system that is unwilling to budge when 
it also feels like it doesn't really make sense in a lot of ways that, you know, we're focusing on BMI um, as a marker of whether somebody can, you know, I don't know, have knee surgery, um, for example, and how people in larger bodies just don't have access to the same type of care health services as people in smaller bodies. Right, right. Yeah. What, and what are some of the myths about health at every size that you've noticed that we might want to debunk today? Mm -hmm. I think the biggest one is that health at every size is anti-weight loss. Um, that is, I, I see this, I mean, the internet is so polarized, so maybe it's not a, a great example of, um, discussions, but I feel like for health at every size advocates, the, the kind of pushback is about how, you know, some people could benefit from losing weight and not all people in larger bodies are healthy and no one is actually arguing that. So I think oftentimes people assume that health at every size is about, you know, encouraging everyone to like eat 12 donuts a day and have like pizza every day of the week and kind of uh, sit at home and watch TV and just say like, yeah, you're healthy because that's what you want to do. And it's just, that feels like really not being seen, I guess, as a health at every size health professionals, because it's not, that's not what we're saying. But I think what we are saying is that in kind of deliberately focusing on um, changing somebody's body weight or body shape, how does that actually impact their ability to feel empowered to change? How does it impact their autonomy? How does it impact their shame? How does it impact their experience of being like a fat person in this world? Um, so those are the two really, really big ones. Um, yeah, yeah, it's kind of the like you hear the term against intentional weight loss. And I think that term's often used and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but to suggest this sort of, I think of it as, I mean, intentional weight loss could be perceived in different ways, but I think what health at every size often practitioners discourage to the extent that, you know, I think they always meet the person where they're at, but discourage it to the extent that you're trying to like mold your body into what health is supposed to be from this like very, I think of it as like external motivation way, like you should eat this way. And these, like all these rules versus acknowledging what hasn't worked and, and really looking at like, how can you honor and respect your body, listen to it. And, and I often talk to people about like relinquishing control of the scale, which is incredibly hard, Mm. but yeah, we just don't have full control over that. But, but yeah, it's interesting that you say like it, that's, the movement is labeled as like being against weight loss or anti-weight loss. And that's how that's not true. It's just coming at health from a very different perspective where weight loss is not the the forefront forefront Mm -hmm. goal. Yes. Yeah. And I would say like in, in my experience with clients, what, what feels really hard um, to 
untangle is that some of these people, like since they were young, have have been told that they just can't trust their bodies, that their bodies are broken, that they're problematic. And so it's like years and years and years on relying on these external measures to say like, this is how I am good, this is how I'm bad. And the box is just so tight and rigid that no one can function in that. So there's this kind of um, back and forth where you're constantly seeking to get back in the box and find a better way to like function in it. But it's, it, it's the box that's the problem because it doesn't give you space to explore, to be curious, to make mistakes. And so when you step outside of that, you're automatically bad, you've messed up. And so then you swing to the other end and there's almost this like self-sabotage that comes in. Um, so I think that's a big thing with health at every size interventions. It's kind of saying like, how do we take down the walls of this box and how, how do you repair that relationship with yourself and your, your body and start turning more internally to decide what is good for you, what works for you versus what we have imposed, what diet culture has imposed on us. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. And I think one of the challenges that is highlighted even in in listening to you talk is just this like, it's just not this clear cut dieting sort of tries to promise this like clear cut follow one, two, three, and, and, and you'll get this amazing result, right. And it's, and, and it's hard, I think it's hard to like hold all of this in in one space. And obviously, that's what you know, that the work that you do, and, and that's what we're trying to do is help people like hold these, what feels like opposites of like giving yourself uh, often like relearning to trust your body and then and knowing that that's like a challenge, right? Because it's not, <laughs> there's not like this clear, clear answer. A lot of people really feel like they want that like clear answer of like, just tell me what to do. I'm tired, right? And then mm-hmm. it's it's hard work, but can be super rewarding work, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's very, a lot to hold. It's it's very hard work. It's it's terrifying, right? Because it brings up so so much trauma that you know it's a lot of people that do this work are followed by psychologists too, and they don't initially come in being like, "All right, I'm gonna explore the the traumas that I've experienced in like living in this larger body." But what gets uncovered is is a lot of stuff to unpack. So of course there's something that's very appealing about a diet where it's like, well, you follow step one, two, three, and you're going to be happy and free and feel great. Have control. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and just to be clear too, and it's like the, this, uh, sometimes we think of trauma as like, it has to be this like specific type of trauma, right? Like physical, sexual, or emotional abuse. And sometimes that's the case. And sometimes it's not right. And so people might think of like trauma, that doesn't apply to me. And, but it, it can absolutely be experienced like that. And I think we kind of touched on, so the, one of the biggest myths that we touched on is like debunking this idea that it's not anti-weight loss per se. It's just not at the forefront. It's certainly not anti-health, right? It's a health movement, but yet it can get labeled as this anti-health. Like you said, it's not about just eat donuts all day. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes we can fall into this like healthism. Um, I would say in like 
in communities that I'm part of, we, we, we label this as like being a good fatty where it's like, oh, it's okay if you're fat, if like you're doing everything to like try to be less fat. Um, and so there is kind of this, yes, health at every size, like does absolutely um, strive for health. And I put that in air quotes because it, it also depends on what each person's definition of health is. And of course, you know, in the medical community, we have health markers, but I think we still have a long way to go to understand how, you know, chronic stress, um, how mental health also impacts our physical health. So I think it's just that the term health sometimes can be so weighted. Um, and then it's like, well, if you're healthy, you're eating excess fruits and vegetables and whatever. Whereas like, it actually is a lot more complex and complicated. And then we also fall into like social structures and access and social determinants that, you know, we, we probably don't have time to talk about, but it's just like, can everyone actually allow themselves to strive for health in this like classic way that the medical community labels it as? Right, right. And that's, I think the more I've done, even in this conversation in the podcast, you're just like, oh, there's so a lot of it's like a language definition problem. And I'm curious your thoughts about why and how it's so polarized. I mean, I, I we're just very polarized in general right now, but <laughs> I think the more that we think about like relationship with food and weight and health, like there's a lot of emotion tied up in that for a lot of people and, and for a whole bunch of different reasons, but people have really strong opinions about these things, right? They have really strong ideas about what health means and weight loss means for them and people they love. And it's just, um, it's a lot. And I wonder, um, yeah, what it, where have you seen the polarization happen um, in terms of like health at every size? Where do you see that? And I know uh, you said the internet, but. <laughs> yes, I, the internet terrifies me. <laughs> because yes. I really. I don't know why I'm doing this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just, I think what's hard with the internet um, is that it's very, very difficult to capture nuances the way we can in conversations. And I think, you know, we all experience the world based on what we've lived, what we've been exposed to. And I think sometimes having somebody say something that really like confronts your perspective of what reality is can bring up a lot and the internet feels like a safe space where you can kind of fight back. So what I've seen a lot recently is in the nutrition community, there are a lot of dietitians who, you know, do um, assist people in weight loss, do, uh, you know, provide like follows after bariatric surgery. And it feels like health at every size dietitians are kind of, I think they feel criticized by that. And then they kind of push back with the research. Um, and then what I've seen with the health at every size dietitians is feeling very misunderstood and saying like, you know, as we kind of make these posts or like write these articles, it's not just this one thing. It's just hard to capture the whole movement and the belief system behind that. Um, so I really think that the polarization is just a, a lack of communication and misunderstanding because I think all camps can learn from one another. And I think the big fear in the medical community is that if we are 
gentle, if we um, empower people, if we allow them to guide their interventions and their desires, it's almost like telling them that they're okay just as they are. And therefore, how will you encourage people to change? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. It's this fear that it's going to like cause no change by just like taking off the reins or taking off the constraints. And that's kind of the the medical model to, to many degrees in different areas. We see this with sort of like, well, we can't tell people um, I'm trying to think of a good example, but basically like almost a distrust in the person to make the choice that's best for them. I think that's mm-hmm. often rooted probably a little bit more. I've seen that in like the U.S. compared to like European, Australia, just more. I would say I'm actually thinking about like pregnancy experiences where they sort of like don't trust you to like make a choice. They're like, nope, you can't touch that or you can't touch this. And versus saying like, here's what the research says you choose. And so yeah, I think that's a really good point about this idea that it's just this kind of this fear, but even I would 100% agree with you. It's like these, this polarization that you described within the dietitian world, it sounds like you're kind of feeling like a lot of it's just this miscommunication and there's probably (laughs) very similar goals for all these practitioners trying to do their best to help and support the people that they work with. And yet, we find ourselves thinking we're so different. And, and I, I definitely have seen very similar things to within like even our supervision meetings where like probably we like really agree on <laughs> like 98% of things. And then, you know, I, and I see this with like friends and it, that's, there's so much benefit of that, having those conversations where you're just like picking apart and understanding each person's perspective, but on the internet, that does not happen. And so we feel more polarized (laughs) than we probably are. Exactly. Exactly. And I think it's hard to actually sit down and be vulnerable because obviously we each kind of carry our own bias and our own experience that kind of taints the way we're interpreting the research, right? It's like easy to discredit this research about weight loss and the benefits, but we're going to credit this research about anti-weight loss and the benefits of health. And so each person is like, see all the research studies that support my perspective. Right. Yeah. It's, it's tempting. And I, I, I do it. We all do it. Like we're all biased (laughs) at times and we're, we want to feel like we're doing the right thing. And when something challenges that it's uncomfortable, but really sitting back and saying, I can, I can handle that feeling. And let me look at this. It's uh, not easy, but yeah. I'm curious because you mentioned um, bariatric surgery. So do you know much or what has been your experience of working as a health at every size health professional and seeing folks that maybe support folks that have gone through surgery or considering it within the health at every size world? Yeah, I, um, so I guess my approach with bariatric surgery, I I can't say I have a lot of experience, but I think a client that um, I work with now and, um, you know, initially came to me because she was preparing for um, a bariatric surgery. And my, my stance was always like, listen, here is the evidence, here are the risks, here are the benefits. Um, Here's your your current experience with food, how do you think you know, bariatric surgery will, will change that. Um, and so I don't think I have a really hard stance on it 
from like an individual perspective, but I will say that a lot of the clientele that I see um, do have disordered relationships with food. And oftentimes um, medical doctors will kind of oversell the, the surgery as kind of this like easy fix. And unfortunately it does initially lead to weight loss, but you know, two, three, four years later, um, people that I've seen have gained back the weight and the disordered behaviors are still there, but it's just that now it's, there's actually like a physical barrier, let's say to the binges and they're, so this client that I'm talking about actually decided not to follow through. And, um, what made me really sad was the doctor was very aggressive about it. Um, and was kind of like, you're going to regret this, like blah, blah, blah. And I found it hard because they had never assessed for disordered eating. They didn't really know anything about her experience and they were just easy to sell this approach because of her size. And so I think that's my problem that I see with bariatric surgery. But then again, I don't know enough about like the services offered in the general community to say like, oh, this is the way all the clinics are. And that I like have like a very pronounced position, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And and it's a perfect example of what we were just saying about the, just these different experiences that people have with either people they know considering surgery or, you know, that have gone through it or clients, but how that's going to impact your view. But yeah, ultimately it comes down to, you know, are we giving, it sounds like for you, like trying to, to the extent that you have that that background of like informed choice, right? Or supporting autonomy, mm. weighing pros and cons. And sometimes in medicine, that doesn't always happen, right? For anything, right? Because I think a lot of times the medical doctors are sort of trained, like I'm the expert. And I think a lot of people go to their doctor, like I want you to tell me what to do um, because you're the expert. And yet they don't always know what's right for everyone, right? Because each individual mm. is different. And so supporting autonomy means not pressuring, right? Or not shaming if someone makes a certain choice. And that's definitely problematic, um, I think. Yeah, and I, I was sort of, I was curious your thoughts because I've seen, I think for for me, I consider myself like health at every size, I don't know, informed, I guess. I don't, I definitely health at every size, like believe a lot of, if, if not all. I think the only thing I struggle with is the extreme polarization that I've seen, mm-hmm. but I think it's just because, that's what, like, that doesn't sit well with anyone when you feel shamed for using the term, like, weight management, like, it doesn't Mm -hmm. feel great. But yet, I think also supporting autonomy and saying, you know, if you're well aware of, like, risks and benefits, I mean, I worked in a surgery clinic for a number of years. And I think that for some people, that can be a choice that is a I mean, I've seen it be a positive choice for people. So, yeah. So I've had that experience too, and we're all influenced by our experiences. So yeah, I was just kind of curious your, your thoughts on that, because I think it's, it's actually really even challenging for me as a professional to sort of like hold these two sides of like these two communities of, of people with two opinions and also help people navigate those choices. They're complex choices. And, um, but I think there's a lot yeah. of power in like holding space for, for it without judgment, without pressure. And I think, I think this goes back to the beginning of like changing the system that like 
if, you know, we can focus instead on, instead of saying like, no, bariatric surgery is like a hard no for everyone saying like, well, what should be kind of the requirements in terms of like the assessment in terms of the follow-up before somebody feels like they are informed enough to make that decision in the same way, if somebody, um, you know, is going through a surgery to change their sex, that it's like, it's, you can't say like, no, like you're confused. It's, it's about kind of, you know, having the proper support to, to navigate that and, and go through that. And I guess that's my stance on bariatric surgery, that it can't be like a generalized, like yes for everyone or no for everyone, but that it's actually very complex and personal. And so we do need to have the proper structures in place to be able to like accompany people through that. Yeah. yeah and have really what becomes a much more thorough conversation than a very short consult, right? And so <laughs> having the the structures in place to help people guide through in an informed way. Yeah. Regardless of what, what yeah. intervention we're talking about. Yeah. I'm curious what, you know, what do you like most about working within a health at every size framework with folks? What do you see in terms of like the benefits um, uh, that people mm. can experience when they think about things t- in this way? I love um, getting to know people. I think what's really beautiful about this work is that it's not so much like I'm the professional and I like know what is best for you, but more um, I'm going to ask you questions and, and be curious and help you um, better understand how your experiences impact your food choices, impact the way you perceive your body. Um, And it's, it's very um, rewarding, I think, to connect with people on that vulnerable level and to also see how it can be really life-changing, right, to, to finally have this liberty to trust yourself and no longer be confined to, like, what the next diet is or, you know, what... Um, so-and-so says is best for you. So I think the aspect of nutrition that I love is that I do have the scientific knowledge to help people like disseminate, I guess, information and say like, well, is the keto diet like really the best for me? And like, can there be kind of that, that gray area? So I, I really love the connection that this job brings. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. So you kind of, yeah, start with connection first and then, well, I, not necessarily you didn't say first, but it kind of sounds like that's like where it starts. And then, you know, nutrition science is part of the co- conversation too, but maybe not at the forefront when someone else thinks about seeing a dietitian, they probably think like go in and get a meal plan probably. Right. <laughs> yeah. And surprisingly, I think a lot of people that end up seeing me from like literally all different walks of life um, are very, I would say that the nutrition education can start fairly early because most people are underfed and they don't, they don't know that, especially, you know, people in larger bodies have this huge shock of like, well, no, I'm not underfed. I'm not malnourished, like look at my size. And so it's, it's really cool to be able to provide that evidence to provide the science to say like, well, maybe you are. And I would say with a lot of people that experience binge eating, seeing how quickly the binges can be eliminated when people actually nourish themselves adequately throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was going to ask that of like, what's the, 
not just the benefits, but like, what are some of the results? And that's, that's a good point. Like that it does come in with like nutrition science and, and sort of like reg regular eating and, and really like fueling your body adequately and how much that can be, can make an impact. And I hear yeah. that all the time. This, that's such a common uh, thing that I hear too. Like, there's no way I'm, I'm underfed. <laughs> because look at my body and that's just a huge mess. It's a completely not science-based. Yes, exactly. But I think, you know, again, with diet culture, there's such a huge misunderstanding of what like an appropriate amount of food is um, for somebody day to day. Yeah. Yeah. People get 12 or 1500 calories and marked <sighs> in their head very heavily. Right. And that <laughs> yes. we can debunk that right here. Right. That is not, <laughs> appropriate. <laughs> no, absolutely not. If you're eating 12 or 1500 calories, you are underfed. <laughs> You've heard it here first folks. <laughs> <laughs> um, is where do you see people struggle most when trying to adopt a health at every size or anti-diet approach? Well, I guess first I will say that the, another myth that I did not touch on is that the anti-diet or health at every size approach, um, automatically like insinuates that you need to like love your body. Um, so that is also a myth. Um, I don't think that health at every size encourages body love, but I would say it does encourage body acceptance and accepting your body does not mean loving it or being grateful for it. It means kind of holding that pain and grief and everything that comes in living in your body and not preventing that from doing the things that are important to you in your life. Um, but I, I actually will say that that is the hardest part that, you know, there can be so much healing around the relationship with food, normalizing the relationship, kind of detaching from the scale. But I think, as I said before, that it, it's very difficult to live in this world in a larger body. Like there is a lot of, there are a lot of places where it feels unsafe for fat people to exist. And there's a lot of stigma, a lot of fat phobia. So it's, it's really hard. And I would say it's very painful for me and my work too, to kind of hold that because I, I don't know what to say, right? Because I wish I could fix it. And I think that's where as a health professional, it's like, really important to try to make changes in the spaces that we have um, to advocate for our clients because it's like, yeah, I've done all this work and I'm still somebody who's in a, in a larger body and I have to go out into the world every day. And so how's this helping me with that? And, mm -hmm. and people are right. Yeah. That's where we kind of get stuck often. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. Do you have people asking you kind of outright, well, how can you get it? You're not in a larger body. Absolutely. Um, and I, I don't presume to get it. Um, because it, it's, it's true that I don't. So I guess my goal isn't to be like, yes, yes, yes. But it's to more be be curious about people's experiences and just to like sit in the the pain of that reality. But it's super uncomfortable, because I don't know if you feel this, Sean, but as a health professional, you just want to fix it. So it, I notice in myself wanting to react and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and to kind of like sit back and say, 
yeah, like, what's that like for you? Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's really painful. How does that impact, you know, your ability to continue nourishing yourself just feels like, gosh, am I doing anything to help this person? I know it is. Absolutely. I feel that. And I think that that's definitely something that I've struggled with as I've transitioned online. I share more about my personal experience, but I try every time I ever say it. And I don't say it every time to be like, just because this is my experience doesn't mean I understand you. Right. Or it doesn't mean I understand Mm. your experience because maybe I can understand aspects of what it feels like to binge eat and diet for a number of years, but I don't, I can't understand what it's like to experience a bunch of weight stigma or healthcare bias Mm -hmm. because of my weight. Right. Like I, I can only try to understand. And it's, it's almost, there's almost like that. I think I've just started to learn the term like thin privilege and just like you walk (laughs) around the world, like not even having to think about some of these things. And there's, I think with any type of privilege, there's this sense of guilt, but then yet I think it, there doesn't have to be, it's just name Mm. it. Right. Like I'm sort of learning that too, but it's all hard. I, I find it very challenging and, um, but yeah, it doesn't, you don't have to get it, but it's also really challenging when you can't fix it or make, take away the pain. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I think that's just life, right? Like, I think that's, I think as a parent, that's like the hardest thing when you can't actually just this morning, my son was like, I think he's teething. He's just screaming. And I'm just, <laughs> and I'm like, so frustrated because I can't fix it. Like, it's just, it's hard. It's hard to sit with pain and for anyone you care about. So it's kind of off on a tangent, but it's absolutely just like one of life's biggest challenges. And, and yeah, it's, but we got to keep making space for it and say like, I'm here and I care, but I can't always take away the pain. So. Yeah. And I think we are, I, I feel like as I've kind of evolved and continue to evolve in my work, I, I noticed that just making space for people's experiences, instead of always trying to bring a solution can be extremely beneficial. It's just uncomfortable for us as providers because of our training that it's like, well, people are coming to you. So you have to help and fix. Yep. Yep. Yeah. If we can take away that pressure, a lot of times people don't expect that from us too, right? (laughs) They're just like, I just want to be accepted or be heard. And so, yeah, it's a good, good lesson for sure. Um, Well, we could talk all day, but we, um, I will have one more question that I want to ask that I've started to ask everyone. Um, so what is one thing or behavior that you feel truly autonomous or internal motivation? So just as a reminder for the listeners, this could be intrinsic motivation. Like you do it, the activity, cause you love it. Cause it's challenging, enjoyable, intrinsic value, or it could just be like, because you choose it and you, you value it. It doesn't have to mean you love it. So what is your main mm. autonomous, uh, motivation behavior? Yeah. Um, I would say running. Um, and I'm just going to give you like a little anecdote, but I, I trained, um, with a team for years and years and years and decided, um, in 2020, as I was starting my business to really like step back from the structures of training. And I was very fearful, very similarly to somebody who steps away from diet culture that without this prescription, without the oversight, like, would I, would I love running in the same way? Like, is it something that I do just for myself? Um, and it's been really, um, really cool to actually like explore my relationship with running in this other way and 
you know, want to wake up in the morning and, and go do it, not because I have a race or I have a competition in sight, but just because it's something that really like benefits me and like lightens up my day. So I will say that running, running has become that in the past year. I think it always has, but taking away the structure has really allowed me to notice that. Yeah. So you had that, you had, it sounds like you had the intrinsic motivation before, like you, you really were enjoying it before, but you were sort of like, um, like you said, fearful, or just, uh, if I take away that structure, will I still do it? Or will I just be like, actually, it was just the structure keeping me going. Yeah. 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 Cause it would have been a loss. It sounds like to lose, lose that love of it. Exactly. Exactly. Nice. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And um, where any can people learn more about you if they want to connect with you? So I, so I'm on the mind body health website, which is um, the practice that we're both part of. Um, yep, body in DC. I'll put a link to that. Yeah. Um, I also have my own private practice, um, SUMA, which means to eat. Um, so SUMA.ca is the website. Um, and the practice is on Facebook and Instagram. So it's SUMA Nutrition or um, SUMA on Instagram. So those are pretty much the places that I'm available online. Perfect. I don't, I'll have to connect with you there too. And I'll put links to all of those things. So thank you so much for your time. Like I said, I feel like we could talk about this all day. It's so fun. I appreciate um, this discussion very much and thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I think these discussions are, are tough. So it's nice to have a space where we can reflect on them and kind of, you know, keep, keep talking about the nuances, I think. Exactly. Yes. It doesn't have to be, we don't have to be so polarized. There's so much that we agree on. So grateful for this time. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So I hope you enjoyed that. Just to summarize what we talked about today, at least the main points, I wanted to come back and say, you know, main takeaways for me from today were the following. Health at every size is a social justice movement, first and foremost. So it helps us to challenge our weight-centric thinking, meaning that we're overemphasizing weight as it relates to health, and just the weight bias and the shame that we often have, or we tell people they're bad if they're in a larger body size. And recognizing that that in itself can be some of the most problematic factors as it relates to our health. And it's really, the movement really isn't that mainstream. I found this really interesting. So a lot of people still don't really know what it is or have misconceptions about it. It's definitely not part of much mainstream training yet. Um, And that was sort of a myth that I had that dietitians just all got this training, which I don't really know why I had that myth, but I just did probably because of just the ones I interact with. But also we talked about the myth that Health at every size professionals are not necessarily against weight loss, and they're not saying that everyone is currently healthy at their current weight or that no one would benefit from weight loss. They're not really making that argument. It's just the the nuance, the discussions are more nuanced, and it's hard to capture it in any one phrase or sentence. Even like health at every size as the description kind of sounds like that could be the claim, but it's really not. So again, all these things are more nuanced than we're able to capture in one sentence or one, you know, quote or phrase. So 
that's why we have to be having these conversations. And that's my fourth takeaway and really the most important one for me. And really one of the main reasons I continue to do this podcast, not just because I want to get evidence-based information out there. I really do. But I think to change these, the way we approach these topics, we need to be having these conversations across different professions because as the individual, you can do all the things right. But if you're still fighting against systems that tell you that you're bad and instill a lot of shame and external motivation, it's going to be really challenging to make sustainable change. So we want to create little mini communities that want to facilitate your autonomy, but we also want to create larger communities. And so I think, you know, in terms of having these conversations, I'll continue to do so on this podcast. But I think the the main message I keep coming back to and Anik and I talked about today is that we all agree way more than we think. And this has been my view for a long time. These conversations can be challenging at times because we feel like, oh, we, we all just come with our biases and we want to feel like we're doing the right thing. And it's okay, though, to realize that we don't have all the answers. We don't know everything. And we can learn from people we work with. We can learn from colleagues. We can learn from each other. So I'll leave you with that. I hope you have a wonderful week. And thank you so much for listening. And as a reminder, if you didn't already, grab that free resource for my fun guided walk all about reclaiming exercise as something positive for you, something that you can do to honor and respect your body, something that you can feel empowered about. That uh, free 10-minute audio you can listen to anytime and it can be grabbed for free at drhondorp.com forward slash reclaim. So that's d-r-h-o-n-d-o-r-p.com forward slash reclaim, r-e-c-l-a-i-m. All right, guys. Have a good one. Talk to you soon.